Hello and welcome to CAD Live. I think it's episode 67. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think we're on 67. Welcome, everybody. It's a new week, a new day. And I'm joined once again by my European manospherical uh, compatriot, Mr. Jack Napier. How are you? I'm doing very well. How have you been, Troy? How have you been this weekend? I'm all right. Not bad. Not bad. I mean, as we were saying off air, obviously... It just seems like every time you open up a newspaper or look on the internet, there's just ever toughening restrictions being put into play uh, regarding the uh, pandemic and so on. And you were just saying there's some more stuff come up in uh, in the Netherlands, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're going to have a curfew, which at first was just um, they were considering it like no 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 we don't want to regulate your freedoms too much. But it's always it's always the lube. Know what I mean? That before you enter, it's like, no, no, we're not going to put it in yet. I'm just lubing it up just in case. No, don't worry. Don't worry. It won't hurt. It won't hurt at all. And then all of a sudden, they just ram it in there. Exactly. And they won't be yeah. satisfied until you scream in agony. <laughs> exactly. We've got Rene Mars here from Deutschland. Good to see a fellow European on the stream. Um, of, dark. of course, we have Mr. Uh, Adam from Florida on there. Americans also welcome, but... Um, we are a little bit European heavy on this particular stream. And uh, Nash rightly says you can't restrict seduction. That's true. Seduction will live on regardless. <laughs> Very true. Very we'll true. always find a way. Casanova would always have found a way, wouldn't he? Yes. If you look yes, at if you read if you read, because we're gonna be discussing this in a minute, but if you read uh, some of his exploits, he would definitely have found a way around this, I reckon. Oh yeah, absolutely. He dressed up as a nun once, right? To just get into <laughs> a um exactly called, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, he did. Exactly. None game. Getting into the habit game. New course coming up on Gumroad very soon. Watch out, guys. Um, yeah, so the bad news for, for the UK was when I woke up on Sunday morning, I was having a look through the, uh, through the news and stuff. And um, what they're talking about, what they have considered doing here, or they're considering doing here is bringing a new, a new Zealand style thing where when you come into the country, you have to go to a hotel and stay in the hotel for two weeks or 10 days or whatever um, before you're allowed out. And everybody traveling to the country is going to have to pay for the hotel as well. So obviously that's doubly bad because it's going to kill tourism coming into the country because mm -hmm. who, wants to, who wants to sit in a hotel for two weeks before being let out into rainy England. But secondly, it's going to really mess us up in terms of, you know, traveling over to the continent. Because if I want to go over to Amsterdam for a couple of days, am I then going to have to come back and stay in a government approved hotel for 10 days coming back in and pay one and a half thousand pounds, two thousand pounds for the privilege? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so a little bit of a tricky one, I think. Mm -hmm. The inmates are running the asylum, man. And uh, it's time to enjoy the decline. Full on. Exactly. Exactly. It is. It is time to enjoy the decline. Uh, the silver bishop, and don't let's bash the bishop on this stream, gentlemen. Says um, in Austria, we have a curfew since November. Nobody cares anymore, even the police. I mean, well, that's true. I mean, I mean, to be honest, in saying all of that, I mean, the restrictions in London at the moment. I mean, there's a lot of people out and about. You know, I mean, unfortunately, all the fun, interesting stuff is closed. But you can get takeout coffees. You can get, you know, you can get takeout meals and stuff. People are out about. It's, you know, it's not quite as draconian as, as maybe it sounds from the outside. But nevertheless, um, you know, it's just what they're going to bring in next, really, is the worry. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, as your great countryman once said, Winston Churchill, never let a good crisis go to waste. And they are seriously not letting this one go to waste. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Although we are getting a lot of news from the hospitals, I believe that the hospitals are under a lot of pressure and all the rest of it. So there is obviously that side of things as well. But, you know, they have mm. had a year to prepare for this and you do start to question, well, they kind of knew that there was likely to be a resurgence of this in winter. Was enough preparation done, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. But I mean, it's all because of your degeneracy with Ernst Graf, man. This is all, <laughs> this is all on, your, on your plate. Well, pretty much. I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. But um, <laughs> but while we're here stuck at home, and, and by the way, people are finding ways out of this. I've got a friend of mine who's going to Mexico um, at it, this week, and I also know, I mean, half of Essex is in bloody Dubai at the moment. Really? So, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's, so Dubai is sort of like almost like another county in England now. It's like half of England's over there. As soon as they put in the new restrictions, everybody got on a plane and went over there. So I don't know. I mean, you know, there are there are ways around this. So let, let's just see. But um yeah, I thought you guys relieved the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So listen, while we're while we're at home and we're enjoying this uh, lovely January, um what we can do is is study seduction. And what better way to do that than by studying the art of seduction by Robert Green, just trying to get that properly on screen there. Um, but anyway, we've been doing a series where we're going through the book and analysing or just, just talking about really the different uh, sections in the book. So we're going to do an end-to-end -end analysis of this. I started the journey alone. Jack has, uh, has, has come on board as my co-patriot on, uh, on this journey through the mind of Robert Green and his wonderful book. Uh, so hopefully you'll be around for, for most of these, if not all of these, Jack, right? I do. I'll do my best to be around here for most of them. Yes, absolutely. Excellent stuff. So I think what we're going to be doing this week is we're doing today and then we're doing Wednesday and Thursday as well, where we're going to yeah. be talking about this uh, with Jack. So make sure to put those dates in your diaries, gentlemen. It's 11.30 uh, a.m. EST, 4.30 p.m. Uh, in the UK. 5.30, I think, in mainland Europe. So, yeah, yeah. We'll, be, uh, we'll be chatting through uh, the, the sections in... Uh, in, in, in the order that they are in the book. And what that means is today we're going to be talking about the ideal lover, which pretty much describes me, really. Well, um, they should have named the chapter Jack. Jack Napier, European. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. If you looked up the ideal lover, then no doubt there will be a picture of Mr. Napier next oh, yeah, to it. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about the dandy as well, which are the next two sections in the book. Because last time we got up to, if people saw the last show, we got up to the rake, which we were discussing. And then the next section is books, the ideal lover. So if you're watching this live, welcome. Hello. Please put questions, comments in the chat. As always, if you're watching this on the replay, many thanks. Hope you get loads of value from this and have as much fun watching it as we are going to have, no doubt, uh, doing it. So first off, right, so The Ideal Lover. Now, I have to say, this is another one of these chapters in the book where you kind of read it and you think, is this really going to fly in a contemporary game context? Because at first sight, it might seem a little bit like, so basically what you're saying is you've got to simp for the girl. You've got to kind of be the girl's, you know, work out what the girl wants, be the girl's ideal, and then she's going to fall into bed with you. Mm. Yes and no. Depends on, well, the entire book in and of itself can be read as that, but there's a sort of nuance to it. How I mm. interpreted the ideal lover is more, you are reflecting the need that you got from them. So yeah. let's say, you open this girl up, you have a conversation with her. Well, first of all, if you're into game, you know you need to listen well. You need to listen well to be able to vibe a bit with her. 
which let's yeah. say that continues on for a bit and mostly girls and even men as well tend to open a bit more again this book is not just about men and women only this mm. this mm. part works great in the workspace yeah yeah people tend to people jabber on too much about themselves too soon but then you tend to hear certain things like maybe nobody ever listened to them maybe they missed something in their parents their mother their father whatever maybe they had an abusive brother i don't know name something mm. and then you act on it you've listened to it and you act on that need that they have reflected towards you so let's say nobody ever listened to it. You start asking questions, things like that. And all of a sudden, they think you are the greatest person in the world just because you listen to them. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, that's that's true. Oh my god, John is here. <laughs> I haven't seen him come, I haven't seen him pop up yet. But that's kind of what I got from him, that the ideal lover is more of a, mm, a good socializer if you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely i think you're right i think there are nuances in this and by the way hello to uh john modern life dating we need to get john on one of these shows or a few of these shows because he's a big fan of this book as well so john if as and when you're back and you've uh got yourself uh got got over the jet lag or whatever if you want to come on and discuss the uh uh the art of seduction by robert green with us it would be great if you did um yeah, so the ideal lover. Let's just read the little intro piece because he's got a little intro paragraph for each one of the each one of the things. So let, let's let's read that just to see what he says. So he says, most people have dreams in their youth that get shattered or worn down with age. They find themselves disappointed by people, events, reality which cannot match their youthful ideals. Ideal lovers thrive on people's broken dreams. <laughs> I like that. That sounds really that's that that's proper like manosphere manipulative, isn't it? They thrive oh, yeah. on their broken dreams. Um, they thrive on people's broken dreams, which become lifelong fantasies. You long for romance, adventure, lofty spiritual communion. The ideal lover reflects your fantasy. He or she is an artist creating the illusion you require, idealizing your portrait in a world of disenchantment and baseness. Uh, I don't think that means like based. I think that means baseness uh, in the old sense. There is limitless seductive power in following the path of the ideal lover. So, yeah, exactly. It's this thing about um, it's this thing about observing them fundamentally sort of trying figuring out kind of what they're lacking, what they're missing, mm -hmm. and then tailoring your your game. So that you get you supply that to them, and as I said on first sight, guys might think, "Well, wait a minute, you're saying you got a simp for the bird, you know? I'm not going to do that, mate. I'm not going to do that. I don't care. Like, take it or leave it. What are you on about?" But um, but actually, being a bit more rational about it, this makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tomato game is strong in the house. This makes a lot of sense, right? Because. Because yeah, you know, you you you've got to you tailor it. You look at the individual woman. You think, okay, so what is she looking for? What kind of what kind of guy does she want? And then you sort of reflect that back. And I think really that's only common sense. I don't mm. think that that's really like simping. I think that's just like you're going to tailor, you know, what's required in each particular situation, aren't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. But mm, most humans these days tend to be very self focused i want to talk about me i have mm. such a good idea i am so great i am so awesome now this isn't per se not true i mean i'm pretty goddamn awesome i mean i know but 
I'm also smart enough to know that in an interaction, I actually have to ask how someone is doing and what they happen to relate to. That's what the London Day game model used to call vibing. Yes. Like, what are you picking up about her? Like, uh, I saw you walking, but you look kind of distracted, whatever, like some artsy teacher. Like, you study arts? No, I actually tend to study blah, blah, blah. And then you go into blah, 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 whatever that might be. Yeah. You find something out about her. She feels interested in instead yeah. of just some hot piece of ass, which he probably is, walking by. Yeah. And let's be really sort of like taking this down to brass tacks in a very simple way. Um, you kind of know when you start an interaction with a girl, you kind of get a sense of the sort of girl she is. And if she's a crazy party girl who's just come out of the club and she's holding a water bottle still, she's like, oh, my God, you know, that's very, that's a very different proposition to the really bookish girl who you met reading the works of Nabokov in the local library, right? I mean, clearly, mm -hmm. there are different, or, or a very, and again, there's a lot of caveats here, but a very traditional girl, maybe a very religious girl. High-quality yeah, woman. High-quality woman. That's going to be different. Your approach, the way that you interact with her, is going to be different to a girl who's, I don't know, wearing a pair of, Daisy Dukes with a with a butt showing at the back and a tiny strip, you know, vest. It's it, it's like the, the, just it's just obvious, isn't it, that you're going to approach those scenarios slightly differently and tailor your approach a little bit. Mm -hmm. And not only with girls, as I mentioned before, co-workers, things like that. Fellow, fellow Dutchman in the house today. Yeah, I saw. Hey Tom, hope that all is good. That was a bit of Dutch for it. He's, he's speaking in tongues. <laughs> Q found me. No, but um, as in the ideal lover, you don't have to take it too literally per se, because what are people looking for? As I mentioned before, someone who often listens to them and reflects something back at them that makes them feel important. Mm. And this book is also great if you want to get higher up the, um, what's it called again? The Corporate ladder. No, oh. yeah, that too. Corporate ladder. Yeah. You'll find out that a lot of employers don't have many employees who actually ask their boss how he's doing or find something of common interest and talk about that. I've had mm. that in the past where I found that out that my boss had a certain hobby or whatever, and I tend to know a bit about that. And I asked him about it, and like two hours passed of me being paid while just listening to him. And he mm. didn't care. Like nothing got yeah. done. But he talked my ears off, and he was so happy with it. He could yeah. be happier. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's completely right. Um, in the chapter, so Robert Green starts talking about Casanova as his ah. first example, and he has three examples of things that Casanova did. So the first one is he met this woman who was cute, who was married, and. He, for some reason, he ends up, in order to pursue her, he ends up hiding, hiding in this little tiny chapel room all day with rats. And she kind of is so impressed with this gesture that they end up sleeping together. And she gets kind of turned on by the fact that he's, he's, uh, you know, do, do, doing all of this for her. And they, they end up having an affair. The second one is this lady called Pauline from Portugal, um, who he's, he looks for a female flatmate. He advertises for a female roommate. She rents the, the other room in his house. 
He tells her that she's really into her. She says, no, I can't possibly because I'm a high quality woman and I'm married. Um, and he goes off on a horse, falls off his horse. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, he, I can't believe he's so hurt. So they end up having sex. And then there's a third one called Ignazia, who's a Spanish girl somewhere in Spain, um, into dancing, into tango, all that kind of stuff. Um, and she, again, he pursues her. She sort of says, she sort of says, back off. And then he brings a female friend along mm -hmm. to one time when they meet up. And this female friend starts flirting with him. And this Ignazia, this girl, who, by the way, had said, you know, he was so different from everyone else. Then because of the jealousy plot line, in him bringing along that female friend, she's like, oh, my God, what am I losing out on here? And they end up banging as well. So there's three different examples. And what Robert Greene says is in each case, in each case, Casanova found something that the woman was missing or lacking and then supplied it. So with the first woman, it was adventure and romance. So the fact that he was willing to, to put himself out in this way, he was willing to hide in this horrible, dirty little room in the chapel in order mm -hmm. to get her. So is this kind of, and she bought into the adventurousness, the romance, the covertness of this. The second woman, Pauline, um, was that she was looking for some some kind of lofty ideals, intelligent conversation, so on and so forth. But he kind of hastened things along by kind of faking really an accident of falling off of his horse to get sympathy from her. Mm -hmm. So he supplied her with with, but he had to get over the he had to he had to find a way to sort of get himself in there. But but once he was in there, he was supplying her with this fine conversation and you know intelligence and everything else that she was lacking. And then with Ignazia, the Spanish girl. Robert Greene says she was actually looking for suffering and torment and she was looking for something to confess because she would go to her confessor every week and not really have anything to confess. And now he was supplying her actually with 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 something sinful. He was supplying her with something a bit naughty that she could do. And she she'd sort of been looking for that in her closed off Catholic, very goody girl kind of world. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if he's stretching a little bit in some of these examples, but in each case, it's kind of like Casanova figured out, okay, this woman is missing this, and then he found a way to supply that. Yeah, absolutely. And on page 33 of the book, it says, uh, let's see, he made himself the ideal lover. The board. Every, everyone turn to page 33 in class. Everybody, everybody classroom to page 33, <laughs> please. So... He made himself the ideal lover. The bored bourgeois master's wife needed adventure and romance. She wanted someone who would sacrifice time and comfort to have her, which clearly her husband didn't do. For Miss Pauline, what was missing was friendship, lofty ideals, serious conversation. She wanted a man of breeding, breeding, of course, and generosity who would treat her like a lady. For Ignazia, what was missing was suffering and torment. Her life was too easy to feel truly alive and to have something real to confess. She needed to sin. In each case, Casanova adapted himself to the woman's ideals. So mm. that's kind of what he did. He just found out what that little thing in their life was they were seeking, be it excitement, be it understanding, or, well, indeed, in the other case, just blasphemous sin. Mm, mm. So, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting stuff. But I mean, how do we think? I've got a, I've got a thought on this. But, but how do you think that this applies in a modern context? Because a guy saying, saying, "Well, hang on a minute," so you're saying I've got to go and like, like lay in a chapel for for three weeks in order to get with a girl. How's that gonna? How's that gonna? How's that gonna fly in the age of TikTok and Instagram and all the rest of it? Um, 
I've got, I've, I've got, I've got one thing I can add to this, but, but let's see what you think. I think you just mentioned it. In a world of TikTok and Instagram, what does a guy have to offer? Well, mm. himself in that case. And hear me out on this one. Most people live on their phones. Get her attention away from the phone. Be the guy she doesn't want to see through a phone. Be the guy who is more interesting to her than that phone. Mm. Mm. Be her source of dopamine. Be her dopamine source. Yes. Yes, I would agree with that. The other thing I would say is that I think you we can probably overcomplicate this in a sense because guys will be thinking, oh, no, so now every time I meet a woman, I've got to figure out what is her thing? What is the thing that's lacking? Is it religion? Is it is it some political belief? You know, I've, it's going to be really complicated. But Do the I truth need to bet 10K? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the truth of the matter is most women actually, they want excitement particularly young women right let's let and, 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 and you know of course we all, we're all aware of Robert Massey and the, uh, the, oh. the the different the different <laughs> the different ages of women and of course many guys are interested in women in that particularly fertile youthful period and and women in that period before they get to the point where it's like right so I've got to do the right thing and settle down and find a high quality man to uh, you know and all of that when they're in that youthful period of exploration they tend to they tend to kind of want excitement and they tend to kind of want to boo and they they want somebody who's not just a boring child. I mean, let's face it, they want guys that they can sleep with and not feel bad about it afterwards and have a bit of a sexy adventurous time and not feel like he's judging her and it's their little secret, right? And I think a lot of women actually want that. So if you can position yourself as the guy who supplies that. That is to say, you position yourself as the lover, and you position yourself as non-judgmental and not somebody who's going to, you know, give her a hard time, make her feel bad, or tell anybody about it because you're discreet. Mm -hmm. In many cases, I'm not saying all cases, but in many cases, you are doing what Robert Greene suggests, which is you are you figured out her fantasy, which is she wants a sexual experience with a guy who she can sort of sort of trust in the sense that he's not going to, as I say, make her feel bad or anything. Make her and repent. Or regret it, yeah, and 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 that I think I think just just fulfilling that fantasy for many women is very very powerful and will open a lot of doors for you. Mm -hmm. Girls want to have their cake and eat it too, as Ryan once stated. They want to be sluts, but they don't want people to know they are sluts. Mm. So yeah. be that exciting sidetrack for her. Like most of the guys think. I need to make a career. I need to dress nice and I need to be a high quality man. And I have to have my $3 million house and blah, blah, blah. All the while, all she wants is the guy on a motorcycle with a leather jacket who wears Jeffrey West shoes, kind of looks like Daniel Craig or like me to have some fun with like, yes. the guy in the polo and the uh, sweater vest. That'll come later. Yes. That'll come. The boring guy will come. You want to be the guy who she meets at a Starbucks and is like, who the hell is that guy? Like, he didn't study IT. <laughs> He's not stuck <laughs> in an office. What's well, up with this? Well, exactly. And Tom Torero would often say that here's a guy who's sometimes somewhat shabbily dressed. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, you know, sometimes living in a van. He's got a motorbike now. He's He's not... So he's very, very much positioned himself as he, he is not the guy 
Okay, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this. Apologies, Tom, if you're watching, but he is not the guy who the, her mother is going to say, hmm, I really think you should consider a future with him. That looks like a really stable, sensible path to take, okay? He is very, very firmly, and I don't believe that he's done this just for girls, but as a, as a, a you know, as, a, as, a, as a, a, a very pleasurable fringe benefit, he's positioned himself very much as the lover, okay? Because it's like, look, here's my van, right? What are we here for? Clearly, we're not talking about, you know, sending the, the kids to private school in, you know, five years time and, you know, having a nice house and a nice mortgage and, and everything else. You know, like clearly what he's offering is I'm a slightly, you know, I'm a bit of a dodgy geezer. I got a van. You know, if you want that adventure, if you want to have that quick sex that that that, that nobody's necessarily going to know about, then he's the guy who supplies that fantasy, okay? And I think that he's actually doing really what um, Robert Greene's talking about in his chapter. That is the ideal lover thing, isn't it? Yes, he is her escape from reality. Mm. And he told me about like with that van, how many girls or how many women he would meet who were, and probably quite, you know, high quality women um, who were just really fascinated with that van. And it, it fulfilled, and, and like, I, to be honest, I hadn't even really ever considered or really heard of this van life thing before, but apparently he's met many women who are like, oh my God, that's so cool. Um, and they're quite turned on by this idea of this guy who's just free and he's just you know, got no ties and stuff. And equally as well, there are other women who 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 aren't into it at all, you know, who look who look at this and they're like, oh my, that's just not for me. But well fine. But there are plenty who who like that. And as I say, I think the box that he's ticking is that ideal lover box where it's like, this is going to be kind of down and dirty. No one's really going to know about it, but it's our little secret. Uh, not only that, he's charming as hell. I mean, oh yeah, well he got he got, he got to you he got to you as well, did he? Well, I mean, let's be honest, he's very socially capable. He oh is, yeah, no, of he course. Is very pleasant to talk with. He knows how to listen. He knows how to interact. So not only does he have the lifestyle down, he's actually got that because where where is he? Where is that? I just, oh yeah. Because Green mentions it as well. The ideal lover is rare in the modern world. For the roles take effort. You will have to focus intensely on the other person. Who does that these days? Who is not so emotionally invested in themselves that they actually take the time to ask the other person how he's doing? When you, I mean, ask one of your many, many girls that you have who are still on Tinder for their phone and scroll through their Tinder. It is insane the amount of guys who don't know what they're doing. Mm. They just don't because they're so focused on themselves. What do I want? Sex. Well, here's a girl. She can give me sex. Give me what I want. <laughs> That's not how this works. You have to actually invest in the other person. And he's got that down to a T as well. His infields are great. Mm. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, look, I don't. He also has great game, and when 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 I say game, I mean like basically social skills, without a mm -hmm. doubt. And I'm not taking away from that by oh, no, no, by no. any means at all. I'm, but what I am saying is that in terms of the his lifestyle and the archetype that that's created, it is very very much. And he talks about this as well. It is very very much lover not provider because Absolutely. if you're if you're a bloke who's living in a van, then clearly unless you're doing it for a you know as a, as a jolly but actually you're secretly a bitcoin millionaire or something then clearly you're not a provider and they understand that but they like it you know because that's not what they're looking for in the context of when they they sleep with with him so i think 
the point that I'm making is that while you can read this chapter in Green's book and you can think, oh, so this means I've got to do sort of a cold read on every single woman I meet and it's got to be something different for each one. And doubtless there are different requirements in different women. But I think the one thing we can be certain of is that what is a very common one is this desire for adventure, is this desire for the lover experience. OK, and that is something that when you position yourself correctly, you can play into. And it's not going to get every woman, but it is going to appeal to a large number, I think, of mm -hmm. women. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, you're not the boring guy. Mm. Be the mm. excitement she craves. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, it then goes on. He talks about uh, Jeanne Poisson, um, who seduces Louis XV, and it talks a bit about how he craves novelty and variety, and she gives him that. Um, so, you know, I think, again, it just speaks to this message of not being not being boring, basically. He talks a bit about appealing to people's higher selves, their higher aspirations. There was one thing that he said I thought was interesting, and I thought this was interesting more from a marketing point of view than actually from a, from a lover point of view. He talks about um, people have aspirations when they're younger, and slowly over time, those can get eroded, and they start to feel disappointed because they haven't lived up to it. And he was saying something, he says, appeal to something lost from childhood, some sort of lost aspiration. And what this actually made me think of here, and this may surprise you, was the Tates. And the reason that I say that, and I'm not talking about this from a seduction point of view, I'm talking about this from the point of view of their marketing. And actually mm. Tom as well, Tom as well to a large extent. What these guys do when they put out content is they, if you like, seduce mm. the, the audience because you're there looking at Andrew Tate's or Tristan's stories and you're like, whoa, you know, he's in Dubai now. Whoa, he's, he's in a Bugatti. Whoa, man, this is amazing. And probably, you know, we had those aspirations as kids like, oh, yeah, I just want to live that lifestyle. I want the fast cars. I want the women, blah, blah, blah. And that's what they're giving you. OK, so this is another example about how this this way of looking at seduction actually applies because listen, as, as as content creators, you know, you and me, we need mm. to think about this stuff as well. And I think what those guys do very, very well is they, and and of course, people have got got quibbles with them and so on and so forth. But what they're doing is they're presenting a very attractive, aspirational lifestyle. Oh yeah, and I think that is filling a need in the audience, isn't it? Yeah. Oh well, absolutely. I mean, everybody's got a gripe with Tate these days, I guess. But you have to. Give the devil his due, so to say. He is a brilliant marketer, and he is a great textbook example of irrational self-confidence. Like, yes. It's an old Roycey concept. I believe that was Roycey, and I think. It is, but, yeah, but, it was, yeah. yeah. But just that, that confidence you need to get in the beginning, and he embodies it. So yeah. for whatever gripe people have with Tate, Look at him and look what you can learn from him mm. because he is a great example of in many of these things we talk about, be it marketing, be it that irrational self-confidence, be it that game, whatever. Yes, 100%. 100%. Um, although I suppose they would argue that their, their self-confidence now is not irrational because they have made a load of money and they have they are living this lifestyle. So, yeah. so they've... But they weren't always. That's the the other thing. I mean, they're they they've got their origin story. They were, you know, a couple of working class, flat broke, yeah, flat broke guys from Luton, um, and now they're they're living the dream. So, um, so yeah, that irrational self confidence, one hundred percent, is 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 really important. Um, 
to round off the chapter, he talks about the, the dangers of, of this um, approach. And he does say the danger of reality seeping in. And I think this comes a little bit close to what some people will talk. When people talk about game disparagingly, they'll say, well, yeah, but what about when she finds out? You know, what, what about, you know, you may have impressed her in the club with those crazy lines, but what about when she finds out the real you? And the solution that Robert Green gives here is like, well, Casanova just got out pretty quickly. <laughs> so Ejaculate um, and evacuate. Exactly. So, um, you know, do with that what you will. But it, it really depends you know, if you're staying in there for the long term and you have presented yourself in a very false way, then obviously that's going to come back and bite you. But it, it might be that's not what you're looking for anyway. So does it really matter? You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ethic, ethical ethics uh, at your own discretion. But, yeah. Uh, and when reality kicks in, let's say Tom, let's say he's had a plate for a longer period of time and he's still living in the van and the girl all of a sudden is like, oh, wait a minute. This guy lives in the van. We're not going to live together. We're probably mm. not going to have kids. We're not going to go to church. Yeah. Why doesn't he have a mortgage? Then the hamster's going to spin. Yeah. But he. But the point about him is he doesn't want that, that lifestyle anyway. No, exactly. So, so he's girl, just, you know yeah. how girls are. They want to pin down the beast, so to say. Well, absolutely. <laughs> but I, I mean, no. But the point, the point I'm making, I, I, I don't think that they go to him expecting. I mean, they might, if they catch feelings, they might start to think. That's oh, what I meant. Know. That's what. But I, meant. I don't think. I don't think at the beginning. I don't no. think when he when they first meet him, they're thinking, "Hmm, is this guy marriage material?" I think they're just thinking, "Oh, it'd be kind of exciting to, you know, to to have a, an affair with a dude in a van, right?" So. Oh yeah. I, I no, you're right. If it if it progresses, then it can become an issue, but. You, you know, like Casanova, like him, probably. You know, you 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 need to know when to cut it off if that's going to become a problem. Absolutely. So, with that being said, we're on about half an hour, so we can now turn our attention, if you're willing, Mister Napier, to the dandy, and you are perhaps one of the greatest dandies on the on the scene. So, well, probably you. this is this is one that you can speak to. Especially. Coming from you, that means a lot, man. I mean, I've got stern <laughs> competition right there with that scarf and all that. Well, you know, I thought I'd. Uh, I was just going to wear the dressing gown today, actually, because. Um, oh, you got it. I've got a dress. Well, I've got my dressing gown here. I was going to wear that, but then I thought, obviously, for a start, it it's kind of looks like copying John. Um, but secondly, I thought I'll I'll dress up a little bit because we're doing the dandy, so I should probably mm -hmm. like you know, um, spice things up just a little bit. But the yeah, dandy got my boring turtleneck. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. But I think you I think you you kind of embody that vibe. I mean, you've got the you've got the wrist things on. You've got the you know it doesn't. And, and actually, he makes the point in this. And this is when we talk about peacocking and stuff. You don't have to go over the top. It's not about dressing up like the QAnon shaman necessarily. I mean, <laughs> it's more about the little subtle things um, that that you can do. But let's let's have a look at the intro to the dandy. See what he says about this. Um, most of us are trapped within the limited roles that the world expects us to play. We are instantly attracted to those who are more fluid, more ambiguous than we are, those who create their own persona. Dandies excite us because they cannot be categorized and hint at a freedom that we want for ourselves. They play with masculinity and femininity. They fashion their own physical image, which is always startling. They are mysterious and elusive. Um, they also appeal to the narcissism of each sex, to a woman they are psychologically female. Oh, we're getting some dodgy waters here for the manosphere, aren't we? For the for the for the for the tradcons watching this. Um, to a man, they are male. Dandies fascinate and seduce in large numbers, and I think by that he means like on a mass media scale. Okay, politicians. Um, 
Yeah, use the power of the daddy to create an ambiguous, alluring presence that this, uh, that, that, uh, sorry, stirs repressed desires. So there's some interesting stuff in there, isn't there? There's a lot in there to un uncover, I guess, when it comes to dandies. Because like your stere stereotypical dandy, I think of Russell Brand, Johnny Depp, uh, that guy who wrote Alabaster Girl. I can't remember his name. Uh, you come to mind. I have dandyish traits, things like that. But the dandy goes far more than fashion. It does. It, 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 it absolutely does. I mean, let's see if we can bring up a few uh, images here. I mean, fashion is, is is one thing, but this is not just about um, dressing up like an idiot. Okay, although right. that could that could indeed be part it, of it. It's mostly why they dress up like that. Those, um, how do I put that? Those subtle hints of non-conformity. Yes. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So what do you think about, let, let's address the elephant in the room here, right? Because um, a lot of what he uh, talks about here is this sort of like um, ambiguity around gender or, or sort of like this, this, you know, elements of femini femininity within the archetype. Now, yeah. obviously, to some viewers, this is going to, be they're going to be there going there well hang on a minute i thought that i i thought that i just had to be like apex alpha i thought i had to be like paul apex alpha or <laughs> I, hello big, to paul, big, gonna do. I i thought that all i had to do was lift and become massive and then that that will be it and so mm -hmm. this is going to fry people's brains isn't it if we talk about this and i think you know like like with all the stuff in this book you can take it with a pinch of salt but i've always had i've always been of the opinion and this has been my observation my life experience is that Yes, if you are a dude who's, you know, you're muscled and you want to get huge and yoked and everything, fine, whatever. But the reality of the matter is that it's not just that type that is successful with women. It, re it really isn't, okay? And and it, guys who are um, who, who have a very different image to that actually can do very, very well. And we've mentioned a few of them already. So what, what what's your thinking on this? Do you remember the band Bring Me the Horizon? No. That metal core band. Look those guys up. I mean, effeminate as hell. Look at, um, what's his name? Blood up. Axel Rose in the beginning of uh, when Appetite for Destruction came out. Like yes. the hair metal scene. Yes. You're not going to tell me that's top Apex Alpha. It isn't. Guys were bloody makeup. We're getting more ass than a toilet seat. As absolutely. 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 Um, and, and this is something that, that doesn't get talked about very much um in this in the sphere because i think it just sort of goes against the central narrative now um mm -hmm. which is if effects you know is, is all the lifting and all that kind of stuff but let's have a look at let's have a look at a picture of johnny depp i mean this is a this is johnny depp from that savage advert and you know he is uh he's in decent i guess de well, kind of decent shape for his age but he's not yoked is he do you know what i mean he's not like no. um you know he hasn't got a neck that's the size of uh, a, a tree trunk or anything like that he's mm -hmm. got the bangles he's got the tattoos he's got the kind of skinny shirt so you've got him and then um what about if we let's bring in somebody else let's have a look at russell brand uh now russell brand i chose an, uh, a sort of an earlier image of russell brand here oh, um yeah, from back in the day and as you can see he's wearing 
he's wearing actually similar to what I'm wearing, really. He's wearing the white uh, shirt underneath the waistcoat. He's got his hair all sort of up, kind of skinny. He used to wear like sort of um, uh, things like rosary beads and stuff like that, you know. Um, there's another example. Like Body-wise, uh, I always try to go for that look, like the, the skinny yoked look, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, the thing about Russell Brand is that um, – he was always actually he's always been quite good nick and i mean i think i think actually in these days it does look like he's been lifting a bit because he he actually looks quite i think he's quite de decent musculature right but nevertheless um he's he's not massive i mean he's actually quite quite a tall guy but he's not he's not massive in the you know the the gym the gym roids uh, sort of the gym cell sense uh pete doherty probably never lifted in his life um mm -hmm. This is the dude uh, from the Libertines who went out with Kate Moss and so on and so forth. Again, you know, you might look at that and go, well, he doesn't look like a high quality man. Um, but he was uh, he was designed. He had loads and loads of groupies, mm -hmm. loads of girls after him, um, even the, the heroin chic thing, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, who else have we got? Carrot, sorry, carry on. Now, it's niche marketing, so to say. It's almost like niche marketing, like the poetry girl, art student girls, things like that. They go crazy for it. They absolutely. Go absolutely insane for it. Because so it, it, it speaks to them. It resonates with them. I mean, it does. It does. It, um, another another example is a, a favorite of mine, Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode. Uh, even now, and I think he's over 60 now, you can see he's wearing this like red jacket and the, the black suit and everything. I mean, those guys used to wear makeup, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, like every, everyone was going nuts uh, the other day about, um, oh, what's that guy's name, that pop star um, who was in One Direction? Harry Styles. Because mm. Harry Styles was wearing women's clothes, wasn't he? And um we were talking about it on Rule Zero, and I was kind of like, well, you know, I, I don't think it's a really big deal because I don't think that's ever going to take off in a big way. What's this, uh, uh, Rolling and, Stones, good example as well. Mm. And, of course, well, the, the, the OG, of course, is, uh, is, is obviously Mr. Oscar Wilde, mm. who, um, who although, although, he was, um, although he was convicted for homosexuality, actually was married and I, I believe had kids as well. So, uh, you know... He uh, he played both sides of the field, as it were. But um, but it, it, we're we're basically we're going back to this nineteenth century archetype, aren't we? Um, where guys would dress in this flamboyant sort of way and be very artistic and very sort of like um, expressive, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Oh no, absolutely. But uh, it is kind of tricky field to go onto this because, well, like Freud and his whole anima animus thing. Yeah, okay, guys, we're not telling you to um show vulnerability no no no, no. well no i mean i i think to, to me i mean what this all comes down to really is don't be a boring fucker bingo but because and and i talk about this a lot when i've done my fashion presentation in john's body language mastery course and so on and so forth you know one of the one of the key things i think that guys get wrong is that they um Again, this isn't all focused on fashion, but let's talk about fashion. They dress in a very normy, boring way. And that's not Polo with a sweater. Exactly. And that's not... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They all dress like Jack. And I mean, that is just no good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but look, I mean, it's like... I got that coming. <laughs> no, no. Well, you've got that kind of French left bank intellectual Jean-Paul Sartre kind of... 
kind of look um, going on, perhaps. But but look, I mean, you know, it's better to make a statement. It's better to stand out. And that sort of skinny rock and roll dude, slightly arty kind of look. I'm not saying that guys watching this should go for that. If that's not you, that's that's not you. Don't don't do something that's not you. But I we do have to be cognizant of the fact that it's not just that 2D stereotype alpha dude who's getting all of the tail. Um, in, in fact, I've actually seen dudes like like that, like, you know, the dandified dudes actually doing better in some cases than those guys. Because if that guy is just a normie, then it's like, well, okay, you've, you know, you've clearly pounding the weights in the gym, but what else are you bring to the party? Exactly. It is that slight hint of non-conformity that we... Yeah. <laughs> Addressed just a couple of minutes ago. By the way, Wednesday, I'm going to go full dandy. You will swallow your words, sir. You will swallow your words. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I might go normie. I might go normie on Wednesday, actually. Oh, my God. Uh, the turtle neck. Absolutely. No, yeah, yeah. Like, um, what you're wearing oh, right now. Yes. It's not even that extravagant. But it's it not has really. that certain edge of nonconformity, like the scarf and the glitter vest. It's like, what's that? Like, It's got a button-up shirt. It, it looks great, but what's no? And, and by the way, and by the way, you can get away with with this. Actually, um, <laughs> you can get away with this actually for uh, for quite a long time. You know, um, I, I mean, you, you don't want to dress like a complete freak when you're sixty five, but you can certainly play with image. Um, I, I mean, I have a friend now who is, I, he is in his sixties now. I think he is in his sixties now. He's a guy. He's a cool guy. He owns a club in Ibiza. He's got a house in London. He lives in Eastern Europe at the moment. Uh, he comes over to London um, sort of as and when he can. I mean, obviously, at the moment with the situation, it's been tricky. But um, And he's got a slightly dandified vibe. And he had a very, very hot Estonian wife who was about 20 years his junior, who he married, and they ended up having kids together. And he had that slightly arty, slightly sort of like, you know, don't – IDGAF kind of vibe about him. And um, even though he's now in his 60s, he still retains that to an extent, not in a crazy way, but he will wear like, a, you know, like a crucifix, he'll wear like jewelry, kind of like cool shirts and things like that. And, um, you know, it's it, as a guy, you can pull this off for, for quite a long time. Yeah, again, look at the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger, uh, what's his name? Keith Richards. Who's that other Italian guy on Instagram? Oh, uh, Gianni Luovacci. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, but not per se in his clothing. Even, even he's got just got all the tattoos and the pink rings and things like that. Because dandyishness, again, has a certain subtlety. Can be done in jewelry. I mean, you and I are known to wear rings, things like that. Absolutely, uh, tattoos, smaller things could be a thing like that. Bracelets. I mean, I've got this thing going on. I pimped out on my watch, by the way, today. Mm. Hope Very nice. Mind. Very nice. No, I like it. It's new. I love it. So, but I mean, well, and the next point that I think is interesting that Green hits on, and he hits on it a few times in this chapter, is he says that the guys kind of play with image. The Danny kind of plays with their image, but they retain an edge of danger and even cruelty. And I think that's interesting. Even cruelty, right? Mm -hmm. And and then he goes on and talks about Valentino. I think he talks about Valentino, who he talks about quite a lot in the book. Um, Rudolf Valentino, who was this very good-looking actor, and I think it was the twenties, or you know, it was a long, it was a long time ago now. But screen mm -hmm. actor, very good-looking, um, and 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 actually somewhat. He certainly wasn't a chat in the stereotypical sense. I think he did ballet. He was a dancer and all this kind of stuff. But the women went nuts for him, 
and the guys you know the, the the roid head guys at the time weren't didn't like it they weren't happy they're like well what's this skinny dude you know how's he getting all of the how's he getting all of the tail and we're not um but this guy they said he he was he was aesthetically quite pretty and also he was uh you know he would you know he he wasn't that that traditional gender stereotype but he did have this element of cruelty about him Mm. And again, you know, take take all of this with a pinch of salt, guys, because we're not saying go out and, you know, be be a complete arsehole. But, you know, it's that hint of danger. It's that hint of cruelty. I've got underlying a, the image. I've got a picture of him here. Have I got it? Yeah, that's the one. Mm. There I, you go. You can, I mean, you can kind of see it. He's got that, that look on his face of... There's something. I think something that, is going on. He's got that look in his eyes, hasn't he? Of sort of like, uh, like you say, like a hint of cruelty, perhaps. He's got that. He's obviously very well turned out. He's got his hair slicked. He's got the nice tie, the suits, and everything else. But there's there is that hint, isn't there? I mean, you know, I don't know how dark triad we're getting here. I don't know a huge amount about him other than what I've read in Robert Green. But I'd like to find out more because it's sort of like, well, does he have? Whether how dark tried he was, I'm not sure, but I would suspect perhaps he, pro <laughs> he, he, he probably was. <laughs> you think he'd call his co workers fat for people who remember that? Uh, quite possibly, quite possibly. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, um, so, so where do we go from here, really? So, we're saying that we're, but we're not. This is kind of subtle, isn't it? Because we're not telling guys, all right, just go out and get a sparkly waistcoat and a um, a, a, and a scarf. That's what that's what you got to do to get the girls, as Kathy would say. So, what are we saying? What are we saying? We're saying because because again, it's not all about dress, is it? No, it's not all about dress. It's about, and I keep coming back to it because he just described it perfectly. That little sense of non-conformity. It could be in your shoes. It could be in your trousers. Could be even in your shirt. Whatever the way you wear a shirt, could even be with your bloody hairstyle. Absolutely. Could even be with your facial hair. You name it. A uh, an earring. Who knows? Uh, Pierce your nose. Don't do that, kids. Don't do that. That those slight subtle hints of that there is more going on to you than meets the eye. I think, yeah, I think that's important. And, and even if you are, you're not going to go full throttle with this, this dandy thing, I think you can, you can still do that. And that's one of the things I teach in, in Cat Academy, actually, in the fashion section, because it's like, what little things can you do just to, just to spice things up? Mm -hmm. um, Baudelaire said, dandyism is the cult of oneself. And I think there's another aspect to this, which is a bit more subtle, which is that the dandy is self-obsessed, let's face it, right? Because if you're, if you're somebody, and on the thumbnail for this, um, episode i put a picture of a guy called sebastian horsley who was a british artist crazy guy womanizer slept with a load of hookers as well actually but just just had this really crazy life and he was he is the he was the epitome of somebody who's just really self-obsessed and really in, obsessed with his own self-image and i think that in itself is a turn-on for women because like it's narcissism basically isn't it it's like the narcissism the dark triad because he is not focused on her. Yeah. And, it... Oh, yeah. What, I want, what does it say? Because we just mentioned that. Like, uh, embrace a bit of femininity. 
And he, uh, Robert goes into that in the book, that you use their own seductive tactics against them. Mm. One being a lot is coquetry. Yes. Women are great at hot and cold. But if you're good at it as a guy, you can make her do anything. Because she's not used to that. She's not used to a guy being hot and cold, taking mm. his distance, taking his time. Yeah. Well, there's another quote actually on page 42, page 42 uh, class, where it says, never give completely of yourself. While you are passionate and sexual, always retain an air of independence and self-possession. And I think that is very important from the mindset perspective. It's, um, how do I say that? You can take it or leave it attitude. Yes, yes. Um, King I says, um, pimps are dandies, which is actually true, isn't it? It's actually really true. When you look back on those stereotypical pictures of pimps from the 70s, um, those guys are just off the scale, aren't they? You've got like velvet suits, you've got the big collars, you've got the jewellery, mm. the rings. And obviously people like Snoop Dogg have, have that, sort of, that sort of archetype in the way that they dress. I and was that's thinking about that today, like rappers are perfect dandies. <laughs> They actually, they actually really are. That's an interesting point. They actually really are because, I mean, so far we've been talking kind of about a lot of white skinny dudes, basically. But, but actually, this is something that cuts across. And, um, and, and yeah, like you say, many rappers are are, are just really over the top. When we talk, you talk about bling and you talk about all the jewelry and the gold chains and stuff. That is is in itself a form of dandyism, isn't it? And yet those guys are those guys are hyper masculine at the same time, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, well, actually, I mean, saying that, I mean, Snoop, Snoop Dogg's always had a slight, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure he's a, you know, he's, 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 a, he, he's a, a, a tough guy for sure, but he's also always had that slightly sort of, uh, do you want to say feminine? I mean, he's got that sort of, he's, well, I mean, he is the skinniest of the skinniest motherfuckers, to be mm. very honest. But look at Exhibit, look at Little John, look at Dr. Dre even. By God, man, that man is a unit. That man is a tank. Dr. He's Dre. Buff. Yeah. I mean, have what? you seen Dre lately? He's buff. Is he buff? I saw he'd lost a lot of weight. Um, Did he? He was, in, he was in hospital recently, wasn't he? I saw something at the weekend. Oh, I hope not. I think he was in, in hospital with something. But um, I, I, I saw, I, well, he was quite big, wasn't he? He was quite like, like heavy, you know, back in the day. And then I saw he'd, he'd obviously been working out and he'd lost a lot of weight. But I, mm. I hadn't seen that he got really, really buff. Um, but I'll, I'll, take you, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, when he was young, he was uh, he was quite scrawny, but later on, I mean, he got he got big. He worked out, man. He uh, he mm. took advice. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's him. <laughs> well, listen. So uh, then he goes on, um, Robert Green, and and by the way, rappers are really into Robert Green, aren't they? You've got Fifty Cent who did that whole yeah, book, Fiftieth Law, and you've got some other some other people as well, I think. Um, but on page forty eight, he says, "Look." Even back in the day, because people think back in the day, everyone was sexually monogamous and everyone was good and virtuous and whatever. And it's only our modern degeneracy that's that's ruined everything. And Robert Greene says that wasn't the case at all. It's nonsense. Look at the ancient Greeks. Look at the Romans, blah, you know, Victorians, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is most people will be conventional because most people are herd followers, really. Mm -hmm. So he says that gives us a great opportunity. Because what it means is that we can stand out from the crowd. Because while everyone else is being conventional and following the mores of the time, we could just be like, do what the hell we want. And, you know, sexually, how we dress, whatever. And that gives us standout. 
Yeah, absolutely. Again, slight touch of nonconformity. Yeah, exactly. That really is no better way to phrase it, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And and then he brawns it out a little bit. He sort of says the dandy has this because because he's got this something different about him, something anti-traditional about him. He's able to endlessly seduce. And he talks about John F. Kennedy in this section as well, which he talks about quite a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, want to talk about a global uh, charmer, things like that, seducer. John F. Kennedy was good at it. He mm. really was. Mm. There, there hasn't been maybe Obama, but there really hasn't been any politician who was that persuasive and seductive. Biden? <laughs> Biggest vote ever, guys. <laughs> ah, maybe, maybe Clinton, even. Maybe Hillary. Well, Clinton, I, I suppose, I, I suppose as, a, as a seducer, I suppose. Bill? Clinton. Yes, Hillary. I mean, I, I mean um, obviously, Obama was very much a very charismatic guy, very much loved by many people. But whether I don't quite know whether he was a he fits no. the dandy archetype as much. Um, no, not really the dandy archetype. Yeah, yeah. Um, later in the chapter, or sorry, sorry, a little bit later on, uh, Green says, when you have this playful dandyism, you become a magnet for people's dark, unrealized yearnings. And I think that this is another interesting thing here. And he talks about this actually later in the book where he talks about the taboo and or, you know all of that stuff, which is some really juicy stuff we'll get into later. But... Um, Somebody like Russell Brand, for example, when Russell Brand appeared on the scene, and Russell Brand was um, was was presenting a very mainstream sort of TV show. It was actually a TV show where they would analyze Big Brother, and he was dressed like this, you know, with the with the cross, with the the white the tight white shirt, the skinny like or sometimes leather trousers, waistcoats, crazy hair going all over the place. It was like, and I remember this. It was back in around two thousand and seven, and. Even then, it was something that we hadn't really seen. There was no other TV presenter who was like that. I mean, yeah, you might get rock stars like that, but but as a TV presenter on a very mainstream show, very unusual. And he was incredibly desired by women for about two or three years. He was just like, you know, he was having threesomes, eightsomes, tensomes. It was just crazy. And he writes a lot about this in his books. And, you know, he's uh, got an addictive personality and, he, you know, and all the rest of it. And, um he, he, he speaks to that. But I believe that was happening here. He was tapping into, he was becoming a magnet for these women sort of, un, there was there was something about his image, something about what he put across mm-hmm. that was like triggering something in them. They were like, that guy looks edgy. That guy looks dangerous. There's something mm-hmm. about him. And this is what I try to teach in Cat Academy, by the way. And it's really hard to always get this across, but it's, it's sort of like, you could say, okay, well, he was famous. So he was going to get laid. And that's true. But why was a figure like him, why did he get laid so much? Why was he so successfully, sexually successful for that period of time? He was voted by the Sun newspaper a shagger of the year for about two, a wonderful really? yeah, for about two or three years running. So yes, there were other celebrities, good looking guys who no doubt were getting attention, but why was he getting so much attention? And I think that's the important thing. And I think it's because he was a fantasy figure. He was supplying something with this dandyism that other even a good-looking other dude who are normies weren't giving the women right. Mm-hmm. He was out of this world. He was, he was. How do I phrase that? He was exactly what these girls needed to get out of their out of their boring lives, and that's why he worked as a TV presenter. 
Because a yeah. lot of the TV presenters, they sit there, three-piece suit. Oh, well, this happening, John. Well, yeah, well yeah, thank yeah. you, Steve, and blah, blah. And then in walks Russell Brand. And you're like, holy shit, who is this guy? Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. There's that hint of danger as well. And that and, and that was why that show that he did back in the day, that's one of my favorite things he's ever done, actually. I still listen to him sometimes now, his podcast and things. But that show back in the day, I really loved because it was it was a commentary show on Big Brother, which, as we know, very mainstream entertainment show, whatever, which I believe came from the Netherlands, actually. So we've got you to blame for the entire um, reality TV explosion. Yeah, I knew we had a Big Brother, but I didn't know well, fact, it coordinated. Fact, fact, fact check that later, guys. But um, but anyway, <laughs> you know, and then and then they had this dude who was just completely nuts presenting the sort of like the analysis spin-off show afterwards. And it was like, what the, who the hell is this guy? And it was like, and, and there was this feeling that he anything could happen. He'd just do something crazy. Um, and I think that was very um, attractive. I think that was what attracted a lot of women to him. And also got him a big audience generally. Um, because then you got a load of guys who were starting to try to dress like him and, and everything else. Um, but another thing that Green says is that ambiguity is so important. It's the refusal to conform to any standard. And I think that that's something that you can communicate subtly in the way that you dress and you put yourself across. It's like, I, I, I don't conform to anything. You know, I'm not a Trumpist. I'm not a Biden fan. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be tied down by any, anything. And mm. I think that is really powerful. You're in it for you. Exactly. It's, again, it's that slight touch of narcissism as well. Like, yeah. What's he all about? He's about him. He has his own allegiance. He's, he's loyal to no one but himself. Exactly. They reflect that. Exactly. And I think some, somewhere else, I don't have the exact quote, but somewhere else he says, um, don't, don't be, be, be disinterested in what other people are doing. Be stunningly disinterested in what other people are doing. Um. And that goes back to something I was advising the other day because I was saying to some dude, you don't have to adhere to the standards that the girl you're trying to get with appears to be putting out, right? You don't have to be like I was telling a story about this girl from Birmingham who used to say I should wear like um name fashion t-shirts. Like, oh, why don't you get a nice, why don't you get a nice D and G t-shirt? That'll be really hot, like the guys down wobble. You know, they got the nice D and G, the Gucci. Why don't you get one of those? And 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 it, and it's a bit like you, do, but you 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 don't have to fall into other people's frame for what other people is cool. You should do what you think is cool. Yeah, and well, fuck it. And, and like you might not get that girl, but so what? You know, it's like you're going to get somebody else who thinks you're awesome. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's what you represent by presenting yourself like that, because you're already already expressing yourself as in. I'm not entering your frame. You're entering mine. You're going to yes. go in my world. I will refuse to conform to you because I've found my way in life. And you're either with me or you're not. And I don't care. Absolutely. Exactly. And he says, look, let other people worry about being socially acceptable. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about it. OK. And I think this is and this is where really it's the clothes. Yes, it's important. We can talk fashion, whatever. But ultimately, it's this is mindset stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It comes in um, language as well. Um, a lot of people are afraid to say things these days. And I tended to notice that at work because I make, well, pretty gnarly remarks sometimes where some people mm. will be kind of grasping their pearl necklace like, oh, my God, did he say that? But I say it in such a cheeky, non-caring way that I get away with it. Yeah. Because I'm... 
outcome independent. Like, hey, this is funny to me. I'm going to say it. I don't care. And you know I don't care, so you're not going to bother me with it. So yeah. in the verbal sense, there's some dandyishness as well that can be expressed. Mm. Uh, nagging a girl, for instance, mm. would be one mm. of them. Oh, I'm mm. nagging. I'm still not out and about about that. Like, mm, how to perfectly describe that. But when you're, let's say, you just mentioned, like, you're flirting with a girl, but if she says no, to hell with it. Her loss. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And look, you are gonna you are gonna lose out. You are gonna lose out sometimes. But that's just that's just how you, you know it's better to have a unique selling point. It's better to stand out from the crowd and just accept that you're gonna lose out on on some opportunities sometimes, because you're gonna lose out anyway. So, you know, don't don't try to be a normie. It's the old purple cow Seth Godin thing, isn't it? Don't try to be a normie because you think I'll appeal to the widest audience. Be yourself you know, repel the people that you're meant to repel and the ones that like you are going to really, really like you. So that's, that's, you know, the, the important thing. Um, so, so look, we're coming up to the end of this now. I mean, he, he talks about the dangers of this and basically the dangers are, you're going to get a load of black pill people saying you're gay. Um, and they always say that. So <laughs> yeah, or past, you're going to get black pill people and Pat Stebman um, saying that you're gay. And what Robert Green says is, look, you know, you just accept the jibes with grace and, you know, whatever, because like allow, let other people worry about being socially acceptable. It's their can, problem. It's not, it's not for you. So don't, we, don't, don't back down. That is the no. thing. Can we read that Pablo Picasso quote that's in the book on page 45? Yeah. Did you want to read it or shall I? Uh, ah, you know what? I'll take the heat. Okay. As in, it, so it quotes, Pablo Picasso quotes, I am a woman. Every artist is a woman and should have a taste for other women. Artists who are homosexual cannot be true artists because they're like men. And since they themselves are women, they are reverting to normality. So what he's saying is be that slight touch of abnormal. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I mean, it was Picasso being slightly homophobic there, but I get what he's saying. Yeah. It's sort of like, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like, well, it's a, bit, a very odd way of being homophobic. But but I think what he's saying, you're right, is is that just having that slight, don't don't just revert to your, to the norm. Don't just revert to the norm of your nature. You know, just be prepared to stand out. Be prepared to do something different. Yes, exactly. Bit of a controversial quote to mention, but it's in the book and it's getting across a point. Indeed. Everybody's welcome here. Disclaimer. Absolutely. Every, everybody's welcome. Um, yeah, so listen, uh, thanks ever so much, Jack. It's been another fantastic show. I think we've got a load of detail in today. And we've only just gone over the hour, really. It's only an hour and six minutes. So mm -hmm. um, so do you want to tell the guys what you've got coming up? Well, I mean, what you've got coming up is being back on here, and we're going to be doing more of this this week. Isn't yes, it? Wednesday I will be back on this show. Looking very much forward to it. Tomorrow, uh, 10 AM Toronto time. I will be on live on my channel with Ryan Stone, and we will be talking arbitrary numbers, why the certain amount of notches, certain amount of wealth, and whatever are just buffers. And six, are six, six. Yeah, that's the one. Like, why it's mm, complete nonsense. Awesome. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Wednesday, I'm on here. Thursday, I'm on here. And Friday, we're going to have Red Evening again. And you can access my private community via my channel where we discuss mostly fitness-related topics. We're going back to that on the channel and other exclusive content. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, listen, uh, we're going to be back, as, as Jack says, uh, Wednesday and 
Thursday discussing more about uh, the art of seduction by Robert Greene, which is a fantastic book, and everybody should get it if you haven't uh, if you haven't read it already. Um, and yeah, that aside, I'll be back on here tomorrow talking about something else, um, and also on Friday. So do hit subscribe to the channel, the red button below. Help me build up this the subscribe base, get the word out there, help more guys. Um, do hit the notifications bell as well. Give me a like, give me a comment, anything like that. It just helps to tickle that algo, um, which will be very much appreciated. The other thing to say is as well, get on my free daily email list. There's a link to it below. I am summarizing these analyses of these, these chapters from Robert Greene's Art of Seduction on my email list in little articles. So subscribe now. I'll be sending one out later tonight. Um, it goes out Monday to Friday. Get on it. It's free whatever you know you'll get access to those articles beforehand i may put them up on the on the website at some point but you'll get them first so get onto that free email list now and that's it thanks ever so much jack great thank you to for see having you. me